0: I really appreciate uh, Mark and Nita. Now, can we thank them for their support? I mean, Mark and Nita are incredible leaders. You've got some first-class world leaders in this church, leading this church. And every time I spend time with Mark, I'm so inspired by his thinking, the depth, you know, his heart. Nita is always making me laugh, just say the funniest, craziest things. And so I just love the combination of these two incredible warriors. Can we honor them right now? thank God for their leadership. Yeah. They're amazing. And I'm so thankful for this church. I feel like it's me coming back home because I just feel at home here. And I think it's just a connection of hearts, really. I speak in many places and I connect with incredible leaders, and I thank God for that. Uh, But something about here, I just feel really connected to you as a church family. Now, I'm aware there's some of you that are new, never heard me before. Uh, If you're here like that, just put your hand up, you've never heard me, you don't know anything about me. Okay, great. Well, um, I might be a bit intense to what you're used to, so I just wanna say, don't be scared. If I start shouting, I am not mad at you. You'll find out when I come off the platform, I'm actually a very nice person. (laughs) Because some people are like, oh, you're so scary when you're preaching. Well, I don't know. That's just the way I am. And so, you know, just wanting to know that it's just the way Holy Spirit flows with me. Uh, And sometimes it gets quite intense. And uh, it's a good thing. Sometimes God wants to offend our flesh to reveal our hearts. And so there might be times where there might be things I say that offends your flesh and you feel mad. In fact, this is a tangent. But I remember once I was invited to a meeting, a fundraising meeting. A friend put this on, there was like all these wealthy people around the table and they were like meant to be like really, really wealthy people. And he said, oh, James, I'm going to put on this fundraiser because I think, you know, by the way, the ministry I lead is called Prayer Storm. And so it's like maybe they might want to give to Prayer Storm. And he also led something and he thought they might want to give to that. So he got up after this nice meal, talked about what he did. And everyone was like yay and then he said oh I'm gonna introduce my friend here James and because he spoke for so long I thought I'm just gonna make my bit really really short so I just made it really short, and I sat down one of the guys around the table <laughs> said to my friend oh you know thankful for what you said I kind of get where you're coming from and blah 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 he looked to me he says but you've offended me how dare you imply I'm not a Christian and literally this guy just exploded in this meeting Honestly, it's one of those moments where I was thinking, oh Lord, please let this be a dream. Please, please Lord. I just want to wake up right now and this is all a dream. But it wasn't a dream. <laughs> and this is how the meeting ended. <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I've embarrassed you Lord, I don't know what. So I turned to my friend, I said, did I say anything offensive? He's like, I don't remember you saying anything like that. So I'm feeling so bad. And then in a moment, Holy Spirit just gave me a revelation and from feeling bad, I was so excited. And the revelation was this, James, you know, it's not about you. What happened was when you were speaking, there was a clash of kingdoms going on because he's under a different rule and kingdom. And as you spoke, conviction came on him. Uh, It wasn't like you were trying to convict him, but conviction came. And then I just saw in Scripture, all of a a sudden, that conviction has different manifestations in people. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, and he says, they were caught to the heart that's conviction. But their response was, what should we do to be saved? And then later on, Stephen preached the same words. They were caught to the heart. Do you know what they did? They picked up stones and stoned. I'm so glad there are no stones in this place tonight or this afternoon because uh, hopefully I won't get stoned. I've never been stoned yet, but I have been stoned with people's looks. So <laughs> you can look at somebody and you can tell they're so mad. So if you're getting mad, it might just be a convicting thing that the Lord is convicting you. So just say, okay, Lord, offend my flesh. Lord, shock me now. Reveal whatever you need to reveal in me and um, lead me in that path you have for me. Anyway, so all of that to say, I've got a word I want to show with you this morning. or this after, it's more, Actually, it's afternoon now that I really feel is, uh, um, and I, I didn't really unpack as much in the, service. I don't know how much I'm going to go into the depths of this, but before I go into it, maybe I want to share a bit about why I'm, sh- I'm sharing this word. Uh, I, and also, because Mark and Nita were here the first time, this would give some context. I, I really feel like uh, the word is for me personally. That's why I'm sharing it. But not just that, I'm sharing it here because I feel it's connected to your calling as a church, that um, every congregation in regions, every congregation that's established by God. Okay, by the way, a slight tangent. I believe it's in the Hebrews. It talks about you know the gathering of the firstborn unto Mount Zion. You know, and the church registered in heaven. I remember reading that, thinking, the church registered in heaven. So, there, is it possible there's a church registering in heaven, and a church could be existing on the, a church could be existing on the earth that is not registered in heaven? Oh Lord. Have mercy. So it's possible that some people may be gathering thinking they're church, but they're not registered. Anyway, (laughs) I know you are. And the point I'm trying to make is congregations that the Lord instigates their formation, they have unique assignments as it pertains to the kingdom of God in this region. So there will be lots of churches in 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 exeter the fact that they're gathering today like this does not mean the texture of what god has called you all to accomplish for his kingdom is the same and each congregation needs to journey in god to discover their part to play in the kingdom and then fulfill that effectively and what i'm saying that is there is something i feel god's called this congregation to that is beyond just this congregation but it's regional And if it's going to reach its impact, there are certain things that you would need to journey deep in. And I'm almost getting to the end of the message, but I'm saying then from the beginning. Because I've already preached this, and I'm going to repeat it, but going to other dimensions. What I'm trying to say is, there is a calling on this congregation for transformation, for awakening, for a move of God. And if that is the case, which I believe your leaders agree with... Then this congregation needs to be a prayer generating machine. I'm so excited, so I'm so I'm so encouraged someone is excited about that. A prayer generating machine for what God wants to do. And that doesn't mean, you know, Pastor Nathan, Pastor Mark, they're the ones that just say, Oh, yeah, come on, guys, let's pray. No, no, no. It means I can come in here and pick anyone at random and say, let's pray. And I know that because they've been here for a while, even if they didn't come in wanting to pray, the culture has shifted their nature. And now they've caught the prayer virus. Now people are catching coronavirus. How about they start catching the prayer virus? That is not going to be possible if you're not in an environment that conditions you. There's some places you go into, you step into that place, and you may come one way, but because of the culture, Pastor Mark doesn't have to preach on prayer every week, but because of the culture and the assignment that he's received, he may be preaching on love, on faith, but somehow the DNA in there is this texture of a prayer-generating machine, so you come in, And you don't know what's happened to you, but you're going to want to pray. So people leave this church and go to other regions, go to other, uh, uh, you know, uh, nations, other parts of the UK. And they've caught something that they can never shake off. Because it's, it's, it's kind of woven into the fabric of everything. And I'm saying to you, I believe that is part of your calling as a congregation. And it's beyond just you meeting on Sunday morning. It will impact the whole region. I'm almost speaking the end of my message from the beginning, but you need to hear this. And this is important. What I'm about to say next. There are various ways you can advance, in quote, or grow a church. And in the natural, people think because not, uh, the church is full, the, you know, the seats are full, that means the church is growing. No. You can fill the seat through other means, apart from the prescribed means that God has for you. And there are many leaders in this nation and other nations doing church, but in their flesh, with human resources and abilities. So when you look through Scripture, you look at the Old Testament, in fact, you look at the New Testament, because the church was instigated there, the day of Pentecost something significant happened. You look at Jesus' life. If there's anyone that had an excuse not to pray, it's the Son of God himself, okay? Jesus, in human form, God, he's here on the earth. If there's anyone ever in human history that could say, I don't need to pray, it is Jesus. So why is Jesus praying for seven hours and eight hours at night? And have you done that? Why is Jesus waking up a great while before daylight, four a.m., three a.m. to pray? And have you done that? So, if Jesus, who had an ex- is the if Jesus, who is the one that could have had the excuse not to pray, is praying that much, who are you to think your two minutes is okay? Who are you to think? Oh, the prayer is for the pastors because they have to preach and, you know, they're spiritual leaders. So, you know, they're the ones that need to pray. Who are you to think you're okay without prayer? How are you able to function? Maybe that's a good question to ask. How are you able to function without a lot of prayer? It means whatever you're doing that you're calling success, the thing generating and supporting that is not the prescribed model that Jesus instigated. His model was fasting and prayer, and the apostles caught that model of fasting and prayer. And the church through the ages has always advanced through spiritual deposits. But the 21st century church wants to find the shortcuts, great communicators, oh, great band, nice lights, smoke machines. Oh, let's, let's advertise, and let's get all the biggest names, and we're going to draw crowd. You may draw a crowd, but you're not going to draw his fire. To draw his fire, there is prescribed means. And so I want to say this loud and clear because there will be leaders in this room and there will be leaders that will hear this. And you in here are called to be leaders, by the way. But I want to talk to people who are going to do what I'm doing in terms of fivefold ministry, preacher, teacher, evangelist. Listen to me loud and clear. If your ministry is growing, having influence, influence, in quote, impact, and you're gaining more Facebook followers, Instagram followers, and all this stuff is happening... And the ancient landmarks of fasting and prayer is not at the core of your personal life and ministry. It means something else apart from the Holy Ghost is sponsoring your growth. And on the day of judgment, when Jesus with his fiery eyes tests our works, whatever you're building now will not survive that. Right now, you may be gathering the influence on social media. You may be gathering the the, the following. It looks like there are people meeting, but don't get distracted by what your natural ability is able to achieve. If you really want to see the church advance, there's only be one way, and it's the hard way <laughs> of fasting, of prayer. And you know what? Your body doesn't want to do that. So your body is going to try to find an easy route get some great speakers and get, oh, nice worship band in. Oh, we're going to have a youth meeting. Let's just entertain them. And so we've, we've raised the church today where people are more kind of, uh, uh, com- they come to meetings like this and churches to be entertained, to be made to feel good. The 21st century church has become a nursery where babies are being fed as opposed to a barracks where warriors are being bred. Babies want bottle, not battle. Babies just want to be made to feel good. Now, you get saved, you're a spiritual babe, and there's a time for you to be nurtured and grow. I understand that. But you've been here three, four, five, six, seven years, and you're still the same something is wrong. If you had a baby and three, four, five years down the line, they're still the same, you're going to be concerned yourself that something's wrong. How do you think God is not concerned that something is wrong with his church? Because they're talking the same, acting the same, not praying, distracted by, what's that thing, squid game or whatever that thing is called, watching hours and hours and hours, Netflix, Instagram, hours and hours, you know, what's it, uh, Disney Plus, but the, we say let's pray, let's be a prayer generating machine and you can't last 30 minutes. It means you have no spiritual stamina. What have you been investing in all these years? You've been coming to church. You heard the messages. I don't just want to be challenged. I want to be changed. So I'm saying, God, what is it that's going to cause me to be changed? And listen, you can hear the most amazing preachers and be challenged, and you will still remain the same. The way you're going to change is when you listen to the word, it goes deep in you, and then you go deep in prayer. So the seed of that word you incubate, and as you're fasting and your body is screaming and doesn't want to do that thing, that is the pathway for personal transformation. That is why your body fights it. Because it doesn't, your body just wants comfort. And I've discovered comfortable people don't change history. So during worship, I'm just over there thinking, oh, Lord. I just want to be a prayer generating machine <laughs> for your kingdom. And I see Exodus. I see this church as a place that God has called to be that sound in the heavens. And there are things that this congregation is called to accomplish that no one would ever notice or give you credit for. But it's beyond your local kind of just, we're going to gather on Sunday. Yes, that's a big part of what you're going to do because your local church, that's important. But there is more. Don't get distracted. So I really do believe, Mark and Anita, that there is something about our DNA that God has called you to uh, infect this congregation with by His grace, such that as people come here, it just becomes their their nature. There are times I meet people and they tell me where they're from, and I'm like, Yeah, I can see that. I can see you've been to NGM. I can see you've been to this place because just by the nature of how they are, you can tell what they've been under. May the spirit that God is stirring in the leaders of this church permeate your heart. That they don't have to call a prayer meeting. They don't have to say, oh yeah, we're going to have a day of fasting. But you yourself have already adopted that life. I'm telling you, church, this is how we're going to change society. And I've gone on a long tangent to come to my scripture for today. Genesis 12. Let's go to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. We read about Abraham. I'm going to summarize this because of time, and just touch on some key points. The first part of Genesis 12, the Lord calls Abraham out of his country, out of his family, and out of his father's house. And I was saying in the first service that this is like a significant call because it's not just a case of well, "Yeah, just just leave and then you're going to come back later." It's a case of disconnect yourself from your family history. Go to your dad and say to him, "Hey." I'm no longer part of this family. That's a huge deal. (laughs) You know, so he has to disconnect from that because God was about to start something new. And the, the, the key lesson there is about consecration. God does not allow us to step into the new things he's wanting us to step into until we disconnect from what he called us to disconnect from. Some of you want to step into some new things in God and, yeah, God, do this in my life. God, I've received this prophetic word, but you're still holding on to the old. You're still, you're still holding on to the old relationships you are supposed to let go of. Maybe it's a girl, maybe it's a boy, and that relationship is a picture of something that's going to hold you back from stepping into the fullness of what God has for you. But you don't want to let go of that. Yeah, you want what God wants for your life. It's not going to happen. And you will not step into that place until you disconnect. Everyone say disconnect. You're not disconnecting as an act of piety and you know showing off your holiness. No. It really is consecration. And I'm not really going to teach on consecration as much but the essence is consecration is about separation. You have to disconnect to reconnect. So it's not just, oh, yeah, I am not doing that stuff. No, it's not so much about what you're not doing as it is about what you're doing. It's not so much about what you're disconnected from as it is who you're connected to. So consecration is about connecting to God in a deep way because you're disconnected from stuff. So the athletes, Olympic athletes, they are consecrated. They are consecrated to their sports. That's why they wake up at silly o'clock eat strange food and diet and exercise in strange ways because that's the outworking of their consecration. What's the outworking of your consecration? Is, is your lifestyle any different to those in the world? Or are you just, the only difference is you're here on, on Sunday morning? Then th- there is nothing of evidence that you're making an impact. See, I understand that we all got different personality types. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. <laughs> I actually really am. I know this it doesn't look like it right now, but I am. And I love my space away. I tell you what, I could go on holiday and be locked in a room for seven days and I'll be excited. Some people, they're going to go mad. For me, I just like to have some space to think, to have some quiet, to pray, to have no one wake me up at 3 in the morning because they need a bottle. You know, I'm talking about my baby who is like one and a half or almost two now. And I, I just like to have, I get re-energized in that kind of environment. That might not be you, but let's put that aside for a moment. When we talk about the fire of God and God changing your life, your personality type is out of it. Because um, it doesn't matter whether you're introvert or extrovert. If I were to set you physically on fire right now, I mean physically, how many of you know you're gonna forget about personalities in that moment? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not gonna. Oh, I'm an introvert. We don't shout. <laughs> you're gonna. It doesn't matter. How, you're gonna start screaming if you're physically on fire, because the fire is gonna is gonna command a response and your personality is out of the window. When the Holy Spirit's fire comes on your life, it commands a response. And that response, obviously, yes, God still works through your personality. But the point I'm trying to make is, it's gonna be obvious to the people around you that you've encountered something. So if you've truly encountered God and people cannot tell that you have encountered God, then maybe you haven't. Because you cannot be on fire and it'd not be obvious. And fire—the way it works—is you don't have to advertise fire. It speaks for itself. Is that fire speaking for itself in your life? What's your w- what's your level of set apartness? In other words, consecration to the Lord. For Abraham to step into the promised land, he had to be consecrated. And so, disconnection led to consecration, which led to elevation, which led to new dimension. We all want the new dimension of uh, encounters with God and the move of God. But there, there, there's, a, there, there's a protocol. There, there's protocol to encounters with God. And so God prepared Abraham. And so God wants to prepare you. Now, Abraham heard the voice and he obeyed. The voice said, come out to a land I will show you. So when the voice of God spoke to Abraham, Abraham didn't know where that land was he just knew the Lord will show him, future tense. I will show you. So his faith was taking the a step out, not knowing where he was going. Does anyone ever get to a place, or have you ever been in a place in your life where you know God's called you out, but you're not sure where? Well, welcome to the life of faith. Abraham is our template, and the way God led Abraham is the way I believe he's going to be leading us. For believers that are really serious about going deep in God, I believe we can see pattern a pattern in Abraham's life that we are called to model because he forged spiritual pathways for seeking God, for following the voice of God. And so we look at Abraham's life, and we can we can learn from the pattern in which God led him land i will show you and then some verses later on in verse 7 it says then the lord appeared to abraham so this is after he had taken those steps after he stepped out of what god called him out of um it says uh the lord appeared to abraham and said to your descendants i will give this land so what you need to notice there is that now abraham is in the land because god speaks and says this is the land So initially God says, I will show you, and now God says, this is it. So when God said to Abraham, this is it, Abraham responded. Now look at what he says, verse 7, I'll read that again. To your descendants I will give this land, and there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. So we start to hear about this whole concept of building altars. And we don't understand what it fully means many times in our church, 21st century church context. But it's pretty important for it to be written in Scripture and to been emphasized the way it has, especially in the life of Abraham. So the Lord called him out. He obeyed. The Lord said, this is the land. And then when he had that encounter with God, as a response to that encounter, he built an altar. Everyone say he built an altar. So, His building of that altar was based on an understanding he had of spiritual dynamics and he had spiritual intelligence. I'm telling you, one of the things that you probably need to start to pray over your life is, Lord, give me spiritual intelligence. I know you may have a PhD. I know you may be at university. You might be very intellectual. The fact that you're intellectual does not mean you have spiritual intelligence. You know when you go to the airport and they have that scanning machine? that scan, Those scanning machines do not have the ability to scan and detect demons. <laughs> okay, newsflash. Demons are real. Angels are real. Hell is real. Heaven is real. And if you're struggling with that idea, then I don't know how you're going to call yourself a believer in Christ. Because if you take out all these spiritual elements out of the Bible, you have nothing left. Today we have unbelieving believers. They have rationalized all of Scripture to make sense. A lot of stuff does not make sense to your intellect because it's spiritual. And the spiritual realm is superior to this physical realm. Abraham had spiritual intelligence. One of the problems with the Western church, and I include myself in that when I say that, because I'm not just pointing my finger, is oftentimes we lack spiritual intelligence. We're so used to the physical realm. We are not conscious of the fact that the spirit realm is not out there, only for some crazy prophetic people to see. We are in the spirit realm right now. You're already in the spirit realm. It doesn't mean you're conscious of that realm, but you exist in it. It's just a case of, you know, changing your frequency, like you change your radio frequency to tune into what is already there. And then when you begin to tune into what's already there, you'll be surprised what you never knew. You'll be surprised that there are lots of things you excused with your natural intellect that actually had something instigating those things in the spirit. And you've been trying... Listen, you cannot medicate demons. I'm not saying every sickness is a demon, but read through Jesus' ministry. A lot of things he dealt with where people were physically ill, he had to cast out the demon. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying every single thing is a demon. However, there's quite a lot of demonic activities, more than we realize. And so you cannot medicate a demon. You know what you do? You cast it out was the last time you cast the demon out? You know, I in my book I did write about depression. I did write about some things I experienced where I do believe depression can be chemical imbalance and all that. And I don't demean that, but the way I've experienced depression is it's being a spiritual thing. And in those moments, I don't want to pray, I don't want to see anyone, I just don't want to go out of my I just want to be locked away and you know, I just just want to wallow in this self-pit, whatever you want to call it. Just just leave. I don't want to see anything. Anyone knows what I'm talking about. When the Lord has given me a bit of grace to, even in those moments, muster up some strength to begin to pray and resist that thing, I have seen a shift in an instant where one moment I can feel this weight of cloud of heaviness, the next moment it's lifted. Well, that's a sign that it was having its source in another realm, and I had to address it. Some of you here are struggling with depression, and you're asking God to come and take it away. But... This is not a word for everyone. I believe it's someone here. What you're dealing with, it's not chemical. And God is not wanting you to ask him to come and do what he's asked you to do. You know what he said? Submit yourself to the Lord. And then next, resist. He didn't say submit yourself to the Lord and then ask Jesus to come and resist for you. If you don't resist, he's going to keep oppressing. And to resist, you don't do that with your mouth shut. You don't resist by just keeping quiet. There is a demonic silence that's come on a lot of people in the church. You watch football and you shout. You watch whatever you're excited about and you shout. You release them. But when it comes to let's pray, silence. Have you ever been been in meetings where where, everyone is talking and everyone's having fun, and then someone says, let's pray. I've noticed people start yawning. Have you noticed that? So I said to my team, you're not allowed to yawn. (laughs) Because if I'm speaking and you're yawning, it communicates to me that you're not interested, you're tired, you're bored. But a few seconds ago, you were not yawning when we were talking about Manchester United. You were not yawning when we were talking about the latest movie. But the moment we said, let's pray, you're bored. See, there is an innate rejection to prayer in your soul. The sooner you recognize it and start to deal with it, the better it is for you. There is your flesh, everything in you does not want to pray. The things that are most important to your spiritual development, your flesh, your body will fight the most. That's why you don't want to fast. As much as I talk about fasting, I don't enjoy fasting. In fact, you may wake up in the morning one day, open your fridge, and you just get a sense. It's like a faint voice fast. <laughs> just as you're about to reach for the yogurt or you're about to reach for, you know, the sandwich and the bacon, and you just you just get the sense. See, that that is a whisper from heaven. And if you don't respond to that, you miss an opportune moment. And the Lord is going to step away for a moment and maybe you might hear him later on when you are repenting. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I had that bacon. Okay, now now see, the fasting is not him trying to get you to earn anything f- from him you're just positioning yourself because the flesh is so loud i don't know about you but sometimes to pray effectively takes me some hours not because i'm spiritual but the first hour i'm trying to get my head out of the fridge yeah. <laughs> and then the next hour i'm trying to stop my hand from grabbing the phone to go on instagram and then the next hour, I'm probably just calming down to kind of focus on the Lord. So, so before I actually start to pray, pray properly, I'm having to go through a lot of purging of my flesh. But some of you don't even get to the purging of the flesh. You just, you just think you're going to break through in prayer without dealing with your flesh. Prayer is one of the ways in which God gets to crucify your flesh. So if you don't get used to prayer right now, then you're not going to get used to how the Lord is going to start to deal with you. The dealings of the Lord in our lives are quite unique. So Abraham was a man that had spiritual intelligence. That spiritual intelligence meant he knew that because the Lord appeared to him, he had to respond by doing something in the natural. He had a spiritual encounter, but that spiritual then had a natural response. He built something. God didn't build it. He took the stones, put it there. An altar means their sacrifice. An, an altar is a place where sacrifice takes place. An altar is a place where the spirit realm gains legal access into the physical realm. An altar is a place where divinity meets humanity. An altar is a place where incense arises. An altar is a spiritual place. In the New Testament concept, you can refer to an altar as a place of prayer, a place of encounter. Abraham knew that because he'd encountered God, who is spirit, he had to do something in the natural to capture that encounter. You can come to church, you can go to the amazing Christian events and whatever is out there. And God could meet you in that meeting, but if you're going to know God, you're not gonna know Him in a meeting. The process of knowing God actually involves a natural, you have to apply yourself in the natural. You have to wake up early. If early is your thing, oh, you have to go to bed late because you're gonna pray. You see, the point is no. okay, I'm gonna do my prayer time this time because that's the most spiritual time. You have to look at your diary and work out how can I apply myself naturally in the most effective way based on the season of life I'm in right now? So that is like you taking the stones and you're saying, God, this 12 midnight, or oh Lord, this 5 a.m., I'm building this as my altar. This is my meeting place with you. And the fact that you say to the Lord, I want to be here at 5 a.m., do you not realize that He's going to be there waiting? God is a timekeeper. For some of you, 5 a.m., he's waiting for you, but you're just in your bed going, Can I just lay in here a few more minutes? You know, someone else can do my prayer for me. And, you know, you're just enjoying the sleep, and the Lord is just there waiting for you. And the amazing thing is God actually oftentimes plans specific encounters for us based on our consistency in the place of seeking his face so you may have started praying and nothing's happened for one month two months three months five months six months seven months one year two years and you're thinking well Lord, see god is just looking sometimes the process is testing your sincerity do you really do you really want to meet me when you're when you have something that's of great value okay i love cameras and i am a camera person i'm involved in media and the Lord allowed us to get some fairly expensive cameras because we're just starting our film and production kind of thing uh, to do gospel and uh, yeah, yeah, hope-centered films. And so, and, and we're just in the process of launching. In fact, we just did uh, we just did some production filming in the last two weeks. It was quite intense. Now, we had some volunteers uh, who were there and uh, they wanted to really help and bless them... Uh, they did not know how expensive this camera is, and so they're trying to pack it down. I'm like, no, 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 because you're about to break it. <laughs> just leave it. I, I would do this one, because I know the value, and I'm not just going to hand that out to anyone. You, you're not just going to come to me, oh, James, can I just borrow this? I'm going to have to think twice before I give that to you. Why? Because it's of great value. You're here saying, God, show me your glory. Lord, move next, extra. Do you understand the value, the weight of what you're crying out for? It's not cheap. And God really wants to do it, but it's like, are you really serious? Because last week you came to church and said, God, show me your glory. And God, you know, uh, uh, what's that song? Uh, you know, set a fire down in my soul. I want more of you. You said it last week. You said it last month. But after singing, and your life did not show that you meant what you sang. So basically you sang a lie. Welcome to a lot of our churches today. We sing lies to God. Because after you said, I want more of you, God, I want more of you, God, you went home and watched all the series of Squid Game or whatever it's called. And then, <laughs> you know that thing I've been seeing on the Internet. You know, by the way, don't watch it. It's horrible. Demonic. Side no. Do you realize your phones and your TVs are portals for access to things into your home? <laughs> so you spend all your hours watching all that stuff. And now it's time to pray. You have two minutes. You don't have much to say. And you're disconnected from God. But yet you say you want more of Him. Do you realize that you don't mean what you're saying? So maybe you should shut your mouth. And next time that song is sang, don't sing it. Say, Lord, I am not ready to sing this until my life is showing it. Then give me the voice now to articulate what my life is already saying. Then maybe when you sing, it's going to be more weighty. Because now it's coming out of a life. Abraham had spiritual intelligence to capture the encounter in the spirit, to manifest that with a natural altar he built. And the texture of that altar was an encounter that God had with him. He had with God. God instigated the encounter, but he had to build the altar. The next encounter, we don't have time to read it. Oh my goodness, my time is up really. You might need to listen to the first service preach, because I don't know how I'm going to finish this. Those of you that were in the first service, you know I'm talking about this I, I don't know how I'm going to finish this. So the second altar he built was, let me let me just read the the first few As It says in verse 8, and he moved from there, that's the first altar, to the mountain east of Bethel. It's actually interesting, it says a mountain. Lots of incredible things in Scripture about mountains, even their connection to altars and moves of God. He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built altar number two. He built an altar to the Lord, and this is the texture of this altar. It's different to the first one. This altar, he called on the name of the Lord. Everyone say, call on the name of the Lord. So this altar, God did not instigate it. Abraham instigated The first one, he had an encounter and he built. The second one, he just got to a location in the promised land and then he decided to build an altar to the Lord. And so the DNA of that altar was the fact that he called on the Lord, which is prayer. So the altar that God then emphasized to his future generation which is jacob abraham isaac jacob later on in genesis 28 was not the first one but it was the second one are you tracking with me i know because of time we i'm I'm gonna have to just rush through this and get to the key points and we're gonna pray Uh, so in genesis 28 jacob is running away from esau jacob is abraham's grandson this point Abraham is no longer on the earth. He's with the Lord. So Jacob is running away. He's stolen his brother's blessing. He's received that blessing. And the blessing we're talking about here is the blessing we read first in Genesis 12, where, you know, the Lord said, I'm going to bless you. I'll make you a great nation and blah, blah, blah. So uh, uh, it's not blah, blah, blah. That's the... (laughs) Lord, have mercy on me. (laughs) So God was releasing that blessing not just to Abraham but to his descendants and so Jacob has received that blessing and now he doesn't know listen he doesn't know the weightiness of what he's received so he's just running away and what he's received is so weighted that now that blessing starts to regulate his life I want to say this to some parents in this place who are praying for children don't underestimate the weightiness of what you have received. And when you're praying over your children, and even though they look like they're not responding in the natural, what you have received from God is so weighty that it can regulate their life. Jacob was trying to run away from something, but actually the blessing was drawing him to a location. He thought he chose the place where he slept because he later put his head on a pillow, a stone, and had a vision and a dream. He thought he chose the place, but the place chose him. Because he ended up in the same place where Abraham just built that altar I just read to you that I called the name of the Lord. And the place is called Bethel, which means the house of God. So Jacob ends up in that same place. He goes to sleep. Remember what I said to you earlier? The spirit realm is not out there. You're in it right now. It's just another dimension that you need to tune into. When he went to sleep, the Lord tuned him into the spirit realm. So all of a sudden, he saw the location he was in, but from the spirit's lens. Have you seen your family from the spirit's lens? Because there's some things you're dealing with in your family. You think it's natural, but there's so much more going on in the spirit. But because you have not seen your family from the realm of the Spirit, you are praying amiss because you don't know the source of the issues you're dealing with. And you see, the Spirit realm is locked up in lots of mysteries. And the Holy Spirit comes to reveal mysteries. That's why it says, I believe, uh, in one of the prophetic scriptures, Call unto me, I don't know if it's Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah 33, 3, I might be wrong, but look that up that reference. Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things you do not know. Are you guys with me, or am I losing you now? Are you getting tired? You're tracking with me. We don't have another service, so let me just land this properly, and then we're going to pray, and we're done. Are you with me? I'm not here next week, so if you're really offended and you're hurt, Pastor Mark can kind of heal you up and make you feel good. Actually, you've got Rachel Hickson. She's not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that was right. Jeremiah 33, call unto me, and I will show you. Have you been shown from the spirit realm the nature of your community and your city? Because you think this place is called Exeter. It might be called Exeter in the natural, but it may have a different type of name from a spirit perspective. Who knows? It may be called Babylon. Who knows? It may be called something else. I don't know, but it might have another kind of... Are you are you with me? So when you look in the natural, you miss things. You have to look in the spirit and say, God, show me those great and mighty things. Look at what he says, though. To see those great and mighty things call on to, call on to, what did abraham do he wore he called on what the name of the lord yeah. because he called on the name of the lord his grandson was then shown so there are times when you pray the prayer goes beyond you And your children or your children's children start to reap the benefit of your prayer. Don't get distracted and think, oh yeah, I prayed last week and the manifestation hasn't happened today. Things of the Spirit take oftentimes so much investment of time. Okay, if you want to know God, you need to take this wristwatch and throw it away. Because time, that's my wristwatch, don't steal it. (laughs) time, time, you have to get rid of it. So you need to have some prayer times, maybe in your week, where you get rid of your wristwatch. Like, God, I'm here, and I'm waiting, and I'm seeking. And you're not there to pray for some breakthrough, even though there's nothing wrong with that. And Lord, I just want to travel. I want... I'm calling on you. Show me. Show me what I don't know. Give me a fresh insight. You see, if you don't start to create that kind of environment, you're going to remain an average nominal Christian that doesn't travel in the Spirit and does not grow in authority. Come to church, hear a nice sermon, and you're going to remain in the nursery of church but not become a warrior. And I know Mark and Nita and the leaders here, they want to raise up warriors. So if you want to be a warrior, then you're in the right place. But if you want to remain a babe, maybe you need to find somewhere somewhere else. Sorry, Mark, I might've just split your church. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not saying if you're going through problems, you can come and say, pastor, help me. But there has to come to a point where you grow. Are you a liability or an assets to the kingdom? Some people they're just liabilities, and yes, God loves them, but they're not adding any value to the kingdom. They're just sucking up resources from the kingdom. And God is like, no, 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 i have not just called you to receive all my love and my blessing and make you feel good. Yes, I know that you've gone through a hard time, but I want to heal you up. I want to raise you up so that now you can be a blessing to bring other people out. Not just to come to church and receive everything for yourself. You're blessed to be a blessing. And that's not about money. Oh yeah, God's giving me money, so I'm going to— Yes, there's a monetary side to that and being a blessing, but there's a spiritual deposit. When God has done so much in you, and you've been in church five years, six years, but there's no evidence in your life, maybe you've just become a liability who's sucking up resources and not giving anything there Maybe you've become the Dead Sea. All things are going in, nothing coming out. Do you want to be like that? Not me. You know, you have two types of Christians, the wine Christians and the milk Christians milk gets bad with time. Wine gets better. Are you a milk Christian or are you a wine Christian? (laughs) Amen. So that means this time next year, you should be a bit more patient than you are this year. That means this time three years from now, The things you're dealing with now as kind of struggles, you should have progressed. I don't have time to go into this. The battles you fight in the promised land is different from the battles you fight in Egypt. (laughs) In the promised land, you're fighting battles to gain territories. In Egypt, you're fighting battles dealing with addictions and slavery. Some Christians are still dealing with slavery battles. They haven't progressed into the context of gaining territory. So you have to be a wine Christian to make impact for the kingdom of God. And to do that, you have to raise your own altars. And the texture of that altar has to be, you know how to call on God. You know how to seek God's face. It's a real deal to you. It's not just because the pastor called the prayer meeting. You know how to do it. So Jacob has his encounter, angels ascending and descending. I'm running up now because of time, so I'm going to just rush through this last bit. And in the encounter Jacob had, he says he saw a ladder set up on earth. Angels were ascending and descending. This is the spiritual realm of the physical location he was in. He was seeing the spiritual realm of that location. And so... The reason why the angels were ascending and descending was based on what his grandfather had done in that place. Jacob was only aware of it in that moment. But the angels ascending and descending was going on before Jacob was made aware of it. Are you with me? So whatever Abraham set up was so powerful that it was now colonizing atmosphere of that place in the spirit. And Abraham had to do that because for the future generations, God was then eventually going to physically give them the land. God will not physically give them the land without someone first possessing it spiritually. So as a church, I believe you're believing for a building. You're believing for expansion. Even many churches believe for expansion. And I even said to my team, because we're believing God for a building, let's not physically go after the building if we have not gained influence in the spirit. Because I've I've seen situations I'm thinking of right now where people, as have in their natural ability and uh, you know you know gifting whatever, acquire territory, but they did not have the equal spiritual stature. And they had not done the spiritual business and homework like Abraham did for that generation. So when they acquired the property, the powers that be in the region could see that they did not have the spiritual stature. And there was a strike. And the leader was taken out. Because they acquired territory in the physical, but they didn't do it in the spirit first. So whoever was influencing that region from a spiritual dynamic was now able to influence that local church. Because they didn't raise any altars. They just wanted to acquire property and get bombs and see whatever it is, however you want to describe that. So the point is, Jacob had this experience and the ladder was set up on earth, not in heaven, on earth, because Abraham set it up. And the angels were ascending, not descending. First, they were ascending. Secondly, they were descending. The reason for that is what was generating the spiritual traffic was an activity on the earth. Calling on the name of the Lord God. Then Jacob now says, after he woke up, this place is none other than the house of God. See, Jacob did not know that that place he was in was the house of God. So the house of God is not a nice building. The house of God is a place where the spiritual atmosphere has made it conducive for heavenly traffic to take place. So the angels ascending and descending, it was a picture of heavenly traffic, which in my mind is a picture of a spiritual city that Abraham set up for the future generations to eventually invade that territory and physically possess the land. As a church, we're not going to advance without doing the same thing. We have to set up, is this a bit too much? But the the pastor says, okay, is 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 this a bit too much? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I told you to buckle up, and I told you I don't hate you. I told you all that stuff. So I hope you—I'm glad there are no stones here for you to stone me. So thank God for that. But I'm going to carry on and just round up. And I know this is maybe just a bit longer than usual, but um, and I need to catch a train afterwards. So I'm sorry if I don't get to speak to you at the end. I'm not being rude. Yeah, I just need to run. Anyway, back to the message to round up. Angels sending and descending, altar is set up, for a place to be qualified to be the house of God, there has to be a gateway there to heaven. So for a church for a church congregation to be called the house of God, they need to, you need to go there and there's a gateway to heaven. And for there to be a gateway there to heaven, there has to be an altar there. And that altar has to be this type of altar that calls on the name of the Lord God. In other words, the church is not just a social gathering. Isaiah fifty, 56, 7. The Lord says, my house will be called a house of prayer. A house where people call on the name of the Lord their God. Because the house of God is supposed to be a house where angelic traffic takes place. And this is why I see. Even as I'm preaching this message to myself and my team in Manchester and what I'm believing God for that when God wants to move in Exeter, when God wants to move in Manchester, as He's scanning the region and He's looking to send His angels, because we have raised up an engine room of prayer, those angelic beings cannot be sent into our region without first touching base at our altars. Because our altars now become like a station for dispatching angels on assignment into the region. So... I said I'm going to finish, but you need to get this last part of the message. is very critical. I have only, I've only talked about the heavenly side, but for a brief moment, I want to talk about the demonic side. You see, the way angels were ascending and descending is not just something that happens on the positive side. It happens on the negative side. Why do I say that? Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church, my ecclesia. And what else did he say after that? The what? The what is after that? There? The gates of hell will not prevail. So if there is a gate to hell, what does that mean? There is an altar, just like Abraham's altar, that's servicing that gate. So angels are ascending and descending, but also, guess what? Demons are descending and ascending in Exeter. In Manchester, because they're individuals that are servicing those demonic altars with their fasting. So while you're feasting, they're fasting. They're waking up at silly o'clock and they're involved in spiritual activities because they're servicing that demonic altar to gain influence in the spirit realm over the region. And we think it's just a natural thing of acquiring property. We don't realize we first have to gain spiritual influence. We have to shift the balance in the spirit to our advantage by our sacrifice and our commitment to servicing the altar of prayer. Only then can we influence the spiritual atmosphere of the region and see the kingdom truly advance. Are you hearing me? those on the dark side are more committed to servicing their altars than many of us in the church are. So they're more submitted to the devil than we are to God. Are you alive here today? How are we going to influence a region when the people servicing darkness are more committed to darkness than we are to the light? So when the battle takes place, obviously they're going to influence more, even though we've got the authority Because of our lack of full submission, they're going to influence more. And this is where I end the message in that as a church and as a people, we are called to raise up these altars where we call on the name of the Lord, our God. Three things. This is not going to be your favorite message, but it's going to help you to grow spiritually. Three things. One, long prayers. Everyone say long prayers. prayers. Yeah. You don't gain spiritual influence by just your two-minute prayer. Because oftentimes you've not got out of the flesh yet. <laughs> you're still dealing. And to gain spiritual influence, you need to be in the spirit. And sometimes it takes a while to press in and step in. So your flesh doesn't want to do it. So don't get discouraged and think I'm trying to knock your head and say you're a horrible Christian. Just realize that you need to grow in your spiritual stamina. Maybe you're used to praying for 15 minutes. Say, Lord, you know, increase my capacity. I want to I wanna, I wanna be able to stay longer in your presence. Long prayers, one. Two, fasting. There are no shortcuts to this. That's how Jesus raised the church. That's how the apostles were. Lear- they learned from Jesus. Fasting. Three, blazing holiness. In other words, no toleration for compromise for sin. You combine these three together, you've, co- you've got an atomic bomb. I'm telling you, in this region where a random, any member of this church can pray, can fast, can pray long, can fast, is walking in holiness, and we come together for prayer meetings, the devil is is in trouble with any congregation that has this the combination of these three elements. And then you take it a step further. Can I have the band come up, please? Because I'm done. Uh, and then you, have, you take it a step further, not just the congregation, but this becomes your personal lifestyle. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you are called to be the house of God, too. So you become that mobile altar, living a life of prayer, living a life of fasting, living a life of holiness. And everywhere you go, you actually become like a walking portal of heaven. So you step into that place and heaven is there because you are there. Are you hearing me today? So my desire, like I said at the beginning, even as I'm speaking this message, is that the Lord would raise us up. I'm thinking about where we're based in Manchester, to be this type of house that influences the spiritual temperature of the the region and is able to be an altar that causes God's awakening, God's revival to find a landing place in the region, that God can move through our prayers, shape the region impact the nation and we don't have to get the credit we just have to be that prayer generating machine house that can call on his name set up that traffic and keep it going by continual incense and sacrifice do you understand with me for many of you today i know that the lord has been speaking to you <laughs> maybe you need to disconnect from a relationship to reconnect to god maybe you need to renew your commitment to prayer in your kind of personal altar. Maybe you've just been distracted from God and seeking Him and fasting, and the Lord is calling you back to that today. Today is a starting point. Rededicate yourself to this altar. If you want to respond, just lift your hands with me. I'm going to pray a simple prayer over you. I'm going to ask the Lord to, in a good way, wreck your life. That you would never be satisfied with comfortable Christianity. That you will never be satisfied with lukewarmness. You will never be satisfied with just coming to church. The only thing that will satisfy you is His presence and that you are going to seek Him with everything in you. I want the Lord to bless you with the grace of hunger hunger that defies circumstances. Hunger that defies restrictions. If you want that, just lift your hands because the Lord wants to bless us with that in a great measure. So Father, as we lift our hands to you, we are saying, God, we want to be everything you're speaking, even through this Word right now. We want to be a house, the house of prayer, the house that creates that pathway in the heavens. The house that unlocks the prayer shaft in the spirit and creates a a pathway for heaven to invade earth. So Father as we lift our hands, even as I lift my hands, I'm saying Lord cause us to never be comfortable with the bare minimum. Cause us to never be comfortable with lukewarmness. Shake us out of complacency. And putting us such a hunger that it doesn't matter how many things you're blessing us with in the natural, we are not distracted from servicing the altar of prayer and going deep in you, Father. Lord, I pray that Rediscover Church would fulfill its calling, that I believe in it is also influencing this region for your kingdom. Father, I pray that, Lord, there will be a whole new depth. Thank you for the prayer room downstairs. Thank you for the heart of the leaders here. But, Lord, I say, God, let there be a shifting of the gears right now. Where they've been in one gear, I'm asking that, Lord, you shift that to the next gear in terms of the intensity and the momentum of prayer and spiritual activity in this place, Father. For the sake of your kingdom, Lord. And one last thing I want to pray, Father, over this church. Lord, continue to send in those people that are going to connect with this DNA and that will really service this altar. People that will not need to be wound up, but that will get it. And like the lady who broke her, her alabaster box would waste their life on you to service your purpose in this region and in the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.